This morning's text is from Romans chapter 5. Please remain standing as I read these words. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope and the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Hey, uh, last week Dusty began talking about a little virtual assistant called Alexa. Maybe you were here for that, maybe you weren't. Well, Alexa is a huge hit in, in the Harney house. I have three children, and each of them have a very hard time saying the name Alexa. Uh, when Campbell was just learning how to speak and she knew she could call on a device to play some music, uh, she started walking around the house going, Oseka! Oseka! And then whatever song she wanted to hear. Well, here comes my son. He's uh, just turned two this last week. And as Porter's been learning to talk, he has not advanced quite as, as quickly as Campbell has. And so he, uh, he calls Alexa Elsa. Elsa! Play Fox Day! He just wants to listen to what does the fox say all the time. And, and by all the time, I mean all the time. Um, we are sitting at a Christmas program at uh, the school down the road, watching some of our youth group kids, and they're singing Christmas carols, and he's shouting out loud, sing fox day, sing fox day. Like, buddy, we don't take requests. That's not how this works. So then comes along our littlest girl twins with Porter, but she has learned to talk even even a little bit slower. And just the other day, um, her brother and sister had been shouting at Alexa, and there's Millie sitting there, and it's her turn. And we didn't know what she would call Alexa, and so she's sitting in her high chair, and she kind of looks at me and looks over and goes, Edna, play songs, right? So we have Oseka, we have Elsa, we have Edna, uh, and I, I just thought, you know what, that's kind of a hard name to say. Maybe you didn't know this. You can change the name that Alexa responds to. Anybody know this? You can change the name. doesn't have to be Alexa. And so I thought, why not change it to something a little bit easier for them to say? So I just recorded a little video. We can check it out. Hey, Campbell, could you play some Christmas music? Sure. Hey, Dusty, play some Christmas music. There we go. Maybe uh, if you need to change the name of your Alexa to get in the holiday spirit. Uh, might I suggest Dusty as an easier name to pronounce? <clears throat> Names have an agenda. Names have a, a, a weight and a significance. And this is what we've been talking about with these names of Jesus listed in Isaiah chapter 9. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. And today we will talk about him as the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Names like these have agency, and they have ability. There's an agenda. There is something being communicated behind these words about who Jesus is and can be to us. Let's start at the beginning of the story. The, the constant refrain throughout the narrative of creation was this, that God made and then he declared, this is good. Over and over and over again, as all things came into being, light and dark, earth and sky, land and sea, whatever it might be, animals, creatures of various kinds, people themselves, God said that it was good. And finally, he sits back and observes all that he has made, and he rests declaring, this is good. 
in Eden, at the very beginning, God has created something that was not lacking anything. There was no need unmet. There was no longing unfulfilled. Everything that he desired to be in existence was in existence. And everything that everything needed was there. No matter how you approach the metaphysics of the origins of our world, no matter what you think happened in order for all of this to come into being, there is a who behind it. A good world that he created and his goodness bringing life and energy to all of it. The world that God created was perfect. It lacked nothing. It was complete in the fullest sense. And and here's the part that our hearts begin to ache because even though we weren't there, we missed it. There was no fear. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was no despair. There was no worry. There was no longing. There was no distress of any kind. The Hebrew word that means peace is the word shalom. Shalom. It means just what is described in Genesis. No lack, complete, whole, perfect. And we translate that Hebrew word to our English word peace. Complete, whole, perfect. But there was an interruption in this perfection. It was the serpent who slithered up to Eve who was noticing the fruit on the tree that God forbids they eat. And he suggested that there was something lacking. The lie that he begins to spin into her reality is this. Did God really say? Did God really say? We we could spend a whole series. We could spend a whole year just asking ourselves that question. Did God really say? Did God really say, never will I leave you or forsake you? Did God really say he's going to come back and set all things right again? Did God really say, we could fill in the blank, all the questions that we ask ourselves over and over again. The point is this, the serpent introduces the idea that God cannot be trusted. Maybe he's not as good as we've made him out to be. And he calls into question the very word of God. It's through God's word, through his speaking of a word that all things are brought into existence. His power on display, an exquisite creation comes into being because God spoke these things into into existence, and it is the very word of God that the serpent calls into question. Did God really say? God's word is good, but the serpent suggests otherwise. And the the interruption of this perfection, it, it embeds a question in their mind. What if? What if God isn't as good as he thought he was? God isn't trying to trust me. Maybe he isn't as good as he was. And this single seed of doubt, it drives a delusional thought pattern. Well, maybe we ought to see for ourselves. He must be cruel and selfish and unloving and unjust and dishonest to keep us from a good thing. So why don't we go after it? We want it. So why don't we have a taste of it? And what God had created was good. What God had created in the beginning was shalom. But now shattered by the lie of the serpent. The action of Eve and then her husband Adam was to take matters into their own hands. To cease to trust the goodness of God. And it is the doubt of God's deliberate word that introduces chaos, fear, shame, and hiding. 
sin suddenly creates a sense of incompleteness. Sin always promises to give us what we want and only ever takes what we already have. Sin robs us of the one who gives us and chooses what can only be found in Christ himself. Sin also creates what the Bible calls an enmity between God and man. That that no longer could God walk with his people, but now we are enemies of God. There's some Christmas joy for you. You're God's enemy. (laughs) A once perfect relationship now ruined. God who cannot be in the presence of sin must now cast Adam and Eve out of his presence and out of the Garden of Eden because they cannot coexist. A God who is perfectly holy and a people who are stained here's what they find. There is no peace outside of God's presence. Shalom exists because God is peace. God is perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And we experience that unrest when we step outside of his presence. Yet God does not stop working toward the reconciliation and restoration of his once perfect relationship with humanity. It is the story of redemption. That there is a God who once walked with his people, who lived with them, and whose his people experienced peace. They lacked nothing. They were complete and whole and perfect. And God is chasing after that again. The end of the garden is the opening of the grave. But even death is a gift to us. Because God cannot allow us to go on forever outside of his presence. There's a Heisman Trophy winner, Robert Griffin III, who wore a t-shirt to a press conference that just said this, no Jesus, no peace. And it's a play on words. You'll, you'll see the K and the W on both no's are a different color. No Jesus, K-N-O-W, N-O-W, N-O Jesus, there is no Peace is only found in God's presence. Peace is only found in relationship with Jesus. So so here it is. Here's the sermon in a sentence today. If you're going to walk out of here and somebody's going to say, what was church about? And you fall asleep for the rest of this, you're going to know this part, okay? Peace is a person. Peace is a person. It's not a possession. It's not something you can acquire or attain or hold on to. No, peace is only found in Christ himself. Peace is a person. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of peace. And so here he is, the prince of peace. Prince is the Hebrew word czar, czar. And it simply means a representative or commander or official. I I like the word commander here. He's the commander-in-chief. But really, the, the, the truest sense in which this word is used, prince, is that he's an authorized representative of the king. He speaks on behalf of the king. God sends Jesus into the world to display his peace for his people to see. He's the only one qualified to do so. Peace, used here in Isaiah chapter 9, is that Hebrew word, shalom. Perfect, lacking nothing. Jesus is both the mean chief and the model of peace. Peace is a person. 
Now, Jesus is not a passive peace seeker. Jesus is not a long-haired hippie who just wants everyone to get along, man, right? That's not Jesus. That's not the Jesus we read in the scriptures, and don't you for one second let anyone talk you into something else. Jesus himself says, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Whoa, Jesus, Prince of Peace, calm down, man. But he's the one wielding a weapon. Jesus steps onto the scene not to take a backseat to anybody, but to aggressively go after his people who have been robbed of the relationship with their God. He intends to separate us from the sin that has shattered so many of us. That's what Jesus comes to do with the sword. To speak the truth back into the world. Because all of the confusion and the doubt and the believing of the lie, God really cares, has created distance between God and his people. And Jesus will stand it no longer. Jesus brings a sword into the world to divide people from the untruth that sin wants to expose them to. There's only peace in the presence of God. Sin separates us from the presence of God. Jesus, in order to permit us entry into God's presence and to have peace, must see to it that sin and all its lies are severed forever from God's people. So no, Jesus is not someone who just wants everyone to get along. Jesus comes to give us peace. His peace is sacrificial. I want to be on the side with the sword. Anybody else want to be on the side with the sword? Remember that Kobe Bryant commercial where he walks up to a playground and, and there's some elementary school kids playing basketball and he just says, hey, can I play? That's Jesus. Hey, can I play? Yes, uh, you're on my team. He's driving up to a varsity basketball game, listens to the radio, voice of the Tigers, uh, Mr. Matt Glaive uh, back there. And I, I hear this bit. Okay, I'm going to highlight two people in the room. Neither of them knew I was going to do this. Highlight, I'm listening to the girls' basketball game, and they go on a 15-0 run of one player. I'm sitting right there. I want to be on Keegan's team, okay? If I'm on Keegan's team, we're winning the game. Jesus steps onto the scene with a sword. I don't know about you, but I want to be on the side with the sword. That brings me peace. Jesus embodies Eden. He's complete, perfect, fully God and fully human. Jesus enters into our world in order to set things right again, to bring us shalom. And he's the only authorized representative. He is the only one capable of doing that. He is the prince of peace. There's a word used in the New Testament. It's the Greek word elimo, elimo. It simply means to reconcile. And we'll read about it here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. Here's what Paul says. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, peace of faith, who has made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by the Father to our God in Christ Jesus. 
reconciled. He came to reconcile us. It is the only way that Jesus is possible. Paul says that Jesus himself is our peace. Why? Because he is the only one capable. He's the prince of peace. He's the only authorized representative of the king. He is the commander of peace. No one has peace unless Jesus says it's okay. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is what we read to start the sermon. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Friends, this is, this is the gospel, that we are justified, that we are set right with God, able to exist in his presence and therefore have peace because of Jesus. What sin separated us from at the beginning, Jesus has brought back together. He's reconciled God and man so that we can be in his presence once again. And there is no peace outside the presence of God. This announcement of good news, it should bring resolve to our hearts. It should strengthen us in our weakness. It, it guarantees God's gracious approach to us. It must be repeated over and over and over. One way to have more peace is to announce the gospel to anyone who will hear it, including yourself. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming back. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ is coming again. That is the gospel. It is the announcement of good news. And it is the reconciliation with God and man that allows us to enter into that kind of relationship. Here's what Jesus has done according to Paul. He's bridged the divide between God and humans. You who were once far away have brought, been brought near by the blood of Christ. He, he's brought together the different. He references two groups of people, the Jew and the Gentile, who were enemies. But his purpose, Paul says, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, putting to death their hostility. And he's also become the destination. He's become the destination. We gain access through faith into his grace in which we now stand. Jesus has bridged the divide. He's brought together the difference. He's become the destination. Jesus himself is our peace. Peace is a person. And there's no peace outside his presence. This peace is not an accomplishment. It's not an acquisition or achievement, but an announcement. It is simply a gift to be received. Here's what the angels say. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace. To those to whom he favors on his own. Peace is realized through the reconciliation that only the Prince of Peace can bring. Listen to the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 32, 16 through 17. Again, a long time before Jesus walked the earth, but definitely about him. Then justice will inhabit the wilderness, and righteousness will dwell in the orchard. The result of righteousness is peace, and peace will be there. The effect of righteousness will be a quiet confidence forevermore. I want that. I want a quiet confidence forever. So some of us are saying, well, that's, that's fine and great, Joel, and yeah, I get it, it's, it's Jesus, and he loves us, and someday 
some will all have peace and will go to heaven or we do whatever that looks like, occasional, whatever. But what does that mean for me today? Like, I'm anxious now. I'm afraid right now. I'm stressed out right now. I, I don't know what's even happening in my world or the world or whatever it is. Like, I'm, I'm worried now. What does this have to do with your daily life? Everything. John Acuff, an author and speaker, just recently wrote a book, and he called it Soundtrack. And he talked about this idea that we are chronic overthinkers. Uh, if you find yourself overthinking at any point throughout the week, just raise your hand. Yeah, whole room, and then the rest of us who didn't raise our hand, we were overthinking whether or not we should raise our hand, okay? Liars, sure. Yeah, his research, he, he joined up with a, a PhD from prestigious university, and his research, more than 95% of people overthink simple decisions on a weekly basis, if not a daily basis. We overthink constantly. He wants to clue us into this idea, Acuff does, that there's power in overthinking. Now, none of us have to spend time or energy. Like, we don't have to, if, if somebody texts you from work, uh, you, you know, it's like, hey, we need to talk Monday. And it's just cryptic and there's, there's no other information. You don't have to write a post-it note and put it on your desk or your fridge. Like, hey, remember to dread Monday, okay? Like, none of us have to do that. We know, we begin to overthink. What's this about? What, like, it just turns out they just wanted to say, hey, you did a great job, Right? But we overthink and we draw the worst kinds of conclusions. There's power in our overthinking. And so the same power that exists to overthink in the negative can be redirected and pushed towards the positive. And we can train our minds to think good things and thus change the soundtrack of our lives. Songs have power. I could list off some song titles, and, and you could give me some examples of immediately what puts them to your mind. There, here, here's some songs that just came to mind as I was thinking about this. The Way You Look Tonight by Frank Sinatra. I'm, I'm just dancing with my wife. It, it may have been on the, the day of our wedding, our first dance together. It might be in, in the kitchen two nights ago. The Eye of the Tiger. I'm warming up for a high school basketball game. I just airballed a three, but I don't care because, whoo! I have the tigers in there, okay? Great is thy faithfulness. I'm with my grandparents. We've been married for over 70 years. There's a, an artist that I listen to, a composer that I listen to when I study, and he writes a lot of music, and he wrote a song called Ariana, shortly after the passing of his mother, who was known for cancer. When I listen to that song, man, I, I just immediately, I'm locked in the writing of that song. Soundtracks have power. Soundtracks, when it comes to the word used this week, are just mantras. There are certain things that we go to as we begin to tell ourselves, here's what's coming. And it happens all the time. Maybe, uh, maybe you're about to uh, sit down with a person you've never met before, and a friend just texts you, like, who are you meeting with? And you're like, oh, I'm meeting with Joel. Like, oh, I hate that guy. He's a piece of work. What do you walk into the meeting thinking about? This guy must be terrible. Or you, you go on a trip somewhere and a friend has been there before and they tell you, yeah, don't go here. That restaurant's terrible. I got food poisoning. Well, what are you not going to do? You're not going to go to that restaurant because that simple idea is in your mind. Acuff talks about going to visit uh, um, a, a place in, in Italy in which they had to walk up a spiral staircase, only one person at a time. And it's, it's about 10 stories tall. 
and his dad had told him, hey, you will, you will um, feel like you're suffocating as you're walking up this staircase. He's like, well, what thought can I not get out of my mind now? You're going to die, son. You're going to die on the staircase. You're too small. You're claustrophobic. Soundtracks are the mantras that we repeat to ourselves over and over. We overthink constantly, and it is often the result of one singular idea injected into our subconscious. Dread isn't going to end well. Fear, I'm all alone. I'm going to fail. Worry, there's no way this all works out. I'm, I'm just I'm preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. Anybody say that? This is what happened in the garden. The serpent changed the soundtrack. From one of assurance in God's presence to apprehension about his decisions. Did God really say? Suddenly, a simple thought injected into the mind of Adam and Eve begins to change how they perceive God himself. And doubt quickly turns to blame. Why did you do this? The, the woman made me do it. It's her fault. Okay? Doubt turns to blame really quickly, and then it turns to fear. We exchange those things, too. We can change electors, right? And we could throw this out there. Hey, Satan, what do you think about this fruit? Oh, you can eat it. Soundtracks are the mantras we repeat to ourselves over and over and over could I suggest a new thing to repeat to yourself? Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The gospel is not some superfluous pie-in-the-sky spiritual malarkey. It is the power of God's presence announced into your very circumstances. God sought to rescue you from death. Don't you think he wants to lead you into life? He cares. He cares deeply and desperately that all of us would experience the loneliness. Not an anxious thought. Not apprehension about the future. But a quiet confidence forever. Jesus is both our means to peace and the perfect model for it. He expressed shalom in all that we did. So what is it that Jesus did that we could replicate in our own lives? He's got four simple things. First, Jesus knew his purpose. Even when he was dissuaded by Satan in the desert, by Peter who told him he shouldn't go to the cross, or by Pilate who was offering him a way out, Jesus knew his purpose. His purpose gave him peace. And Jesus dictated his pace. Jesus did not allow the world to tell him how fast or where to go. Jesus gave decisions to Jesus' Father. Even in the event of the death of his good friend Lazarus, he does not go immediately. Why? Because Jesus decided it is safe. Here's an important one, and we forget this. Jesus spent time with people. I, I found in my research this week, and I don't have time to reference it this morning, but the amount of time that we are spending with each other has plummeted even since before COVID. We spend more time, time by ourselves than we ever have before in what has simultaneously given us anxiety, peace, depression, fear. 
feast upon the people. He sat down to these meals in people's homes. He's not thirsty. Jesus was devoted to prayer. Scriptures say that he often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Jesus knew his purpose. He dictated his pace. He spent time with people. He was devoted to prayer. And I love this thought from Dan DeWitt. The incarnation means Jesus becoming. The incarnation means he became like us. The resurrection means we become like Jesus. Jesus is a person. And when you're invited into his presence to live in his pattern, Notice, again, the text says he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, but the places are lonely, not him. Why? Because he's with his Father. He's in his presence. What's he doing? He's thinking about that. Not my will, but yours be done. Repeating over and over and over again the goodness of God. Now, I I want to make sure I don't blow past those of us who really wrestle with anxiety. I mean, by all accounts, more than half of us have a serious struggle with this. And I'm one of them. And I don't want to make light of that. I don't, I, I don't want to just, you know, give everybody a pat on the hand and say, it's going to be okay. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I, I really believe this. I really believe that when we begin to preach the gospel to ourselves and sit in the presence of God, Because I've lived it. It's the year 2018, and, and we were expecting our first child. And I would never have told you that I was stressed out. I would never have been able to tell you that I was anxious, that I was feeling certain things. Like, we just, we don't talk about that, right? But my body was saying otherwise. Certain things were happening, happening to me physically. I suddenly had uh, some ailments and, and physical distress that I wouldn't be able to point to a reason why. But I was beginning to get really anxious about life. And that had spiraled year after year after year. And even after moving here, having two more children, becoming even more anxious about their health and our life and how do I provide, how do I make sure, and all of these different things. And here's, here's what, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, I'll get to talk about another here in a couple of weeks. One thing changed is the amount of time I spent in God's presence. See, as a pastor, I realized that I was doing a lot of things for God. I wasn't doing a lot of things with Him. I think it's a big difference. When you, when you walk into church this morning, are you here because you're supposed to be? Or are you here because you've been asked by God's presence? And throughout a whole summer, I spent time in the book of Isaiah, and each day I would just write as God says is true. Here's what he says is true about sin. Here's what he says is true about Jesus. Here's what he says is true about me. Here's what he says is true about himself. I spent time in God's presence. I wanted to do things differently, not just for him. And I found track again. My friends, would I just invite you into that same idea? That you would seek to do life with God in his presence. Not just do things for him. We're often in misery when we lack true ministry. And here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and, listen, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Perhaps there's no better example of this ministry of reconciliation than what it looks like to introduce people to the peace of God than through a man named Monty Williams. Monty is an NBA coach, was a player, and, and started his career at the University of Notre Dame, went on to play in the NBA. He's been on a lot of coaching staffs. He's well-regarded and revered. But I, I came across this clip on, on Twitter this last week from a game between his team, the Phoenix Suns, and the Houston Rockets. famously stood on stage and spoke with such eloquence and power that people were amazed. And he said this, this very impressive line. He said, we haven't lost anything. When you lose something, you don't know where to find it. He said, I know exactly where my wife is. It was Ingrid who helped Monty find safety. It was Ingrid who tied him to Jesus. It was Ingrid who was the backbone and the strength of their family. Monty lost all of that. And so here he is several years later, having endured hardship and chaos and turmoil and anxiety and apprehension about the future and raising five children by himself. And here's his friend Jesus. And what does he do? 
often we embrace it. And actually what the commentators don't say is that we should pray for them as they have step into the presence of God. This is no peace outside of his presence, but let's go into his presence and what he is doing. There aren't great answers for loss. There are no good answers for why there's a hurt or pain or brokenness other than that we're enemies of God. Monty's not trying to answer that question. He's just trying to help Stephen understand there's peace in the presence of God. And so let's change the soundtrack from one of hurt and despair and worry. Let's go into God's presence. Let's trust his goodness. I don't know what has you stressed out or anxious. I know what has me stressed out. I don't know how to fix it in the snap of a finger. But I do know this. God's created shalom from the very beginning. And it only took place, it only existed because God and his people were not separate. Shalom was shattered at the moment that people were pulled out of God's presence. And so that tells me one thing, that peace is only found in the presence of God. Jesus, who embodies all of who God is, steps into our world. Peace is a person friendship. So if you're lacking peace today, here's the invitation. Would you step into his presence? Jesus is the means to our peace with God. He's also the perfect model for us. Some of us in the room have never said yes to Jesus. We've never fully stepped to that moment where we say, I I want to have shalom with him. I want to be in God's presence. I want to live my life with him. Some of us have made that decision and there's still some unrest in our hearts. And so here's the invitation. Would you just live like we've invited you to live? Knowing your purpose as a minister of reconciliation. Having him dictate your pace and no one else. Spending time with people and being devoted to them. We get this time right now to step into God's presence, to cast all our anxiety on Him, to change the soundtrack, and listen to how much He cares for us.